very nice to be back today. I was gone for the last two weeks. That hasn't happened in a long time to be gone two weeks in a row. Glad to see you all still come out. That's great. We had a nice time. Spent a week uh, up at my parents' house in Virginia. They come down here a lot, so we thought it was only fair if we went and messed up their house for a little while. So <laughs> now they don't stay at our house, but we had a good time with them and my sister. But now the next holiday rolled along and New Year's. You know, I think if there was ever the truly arbitrary holiday, it's got to be New Year's, right? I mean, is December 31 and January 1 really all that different? No, they're not. Yet, yet somehow it's important to us to, to mark transitions, and you have to choose a point to call the New Year, so we do. And, and it's amazing how that arbitrary choice can carry with it so much power. But you know what? Rather than fight it, let's just go with it because it's just kind of the way it is. And, and in the context of that, I want to talk a little bit about one of the things we track on a yearly basis is, is issues with our church budget and with giving and things like that. And, and we talked to you some at the end of the year about where we were on that. And it was, it was kind of a challenging year this last year in terms of giving in that we got behind in the first quarter of the year in total giving. Now, we had adapted to that by limiting some of our spending, so we basically kept where we were in relationship to giving about on budget, but we went through most of the year with, with about a, a $60,000 deficit or so from what we were expecting to have received, and then we made a call to the faithfulness of the community here at the, at the end of the year. Well, I have to tell you, it was remarkable. November and December, just those two months, the faithful members of this church community contributed to this church's local budget alone right around $350,000 in two months. And that's amazing. That's the kind of thing we need to praise God for. And that I say thank you to you for. And actually, this turned out gloriously in the minds of a lot of the finance-type people because, see, we were real careful with spending all year, and then at the end, we ended up getting everything we expected anywhere. So you know what that means? That means net gain for the community. So it's quite amazing that it worked out that way. But God's blessing has been upon us this year, and the church has been faithful. And, and just to take that a step further... As you know, back in June, that was the cutoff month for uh, the loan we had taken with the conference. That was the end of the interest-free period of that loan that we took for the parking lot that's out here. And we made a special push in June and raised about $70,000 towards paying that off. And then we took some money from our reserves and put it with that $70,000 so that we could pay the conference off before we got into any of the time of interest. And then set about through the closing months of the year to pay ourselves back to put back into our reserves what we put. Well, we came into the month of December with about $5,000 remaining to reimburse ourselves for that. And in the month of December, we received for the building fund over $50,000. So just so you know, no longer anywhere in any record we keep in any way is there any debt left over from that parking lot out there. It is a done deal. It is over and done. And yes, indeed. And we have $50,000 plus above and beyond sitting in the building fund for the next challenges we need to take on as a community. So praise God for that. 
and for this community that's been faithful to those projects. And just so you know, there are already things we are looking at, significant facilities, renewal, and construction projects to be considered in this year, as well as increasing some of our expenditures on our ministry areas. So if we all continue to work together and contribute like this last few months and like this last year, we will no doubt have no trouble doing all the things that the Lord is calling us to do. So I wanted to give you that good news here and uh, thank the Lord for his blessing. So let's pray and thank him now. Father in heaven, I thank you for your faithfulness to your people and the way you've blessed us in this last year. And I thank you that the people have been faithful and have returned to this place and to your work a portion of that blessing sufficient to meet our budget of the last year. Now, Lord, we look ahead to the opportunities that lie ahead. Help us to understand your purpose, your will for us, and help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. All of which brings us to the new year and to the new focuses for this year. You'll remember last year, we chose as a focus the phrase, live the gospel dangerously. Now, we're going to hang on to the idea of live the gospel, and that will continue in the life of our church as a, as a theme and a vision, but, but we're, we're going to use another word this year that will be our theme word for this year, and that word is engage. You're beginning to see that in more ways as we go forward, and there's multiple ways that, that we could view this word. And we will look at it in a lot of different ways, but, but primarily how I want us, at least in the early part of this year, to look at that word is in terms of relationship, engagement in relationship, in the sphere of family, in the sphere of our church community, and in the sphere of outside of this church community. So we're going to take some time here early in this year to explore what does it take to be engaged. Why are we even able to be engaged? And what does engagement in these various spheres of our life look like? And that all brings me to today's topic, one where we don't so much see our engagement, but one where God shows us what it means to be engaged. So as we begin to go this way, let's pray again and ask God's blessing. Father, we pray that you will send your spirit now to teach us about your engagement so that we will understand what it meant for us and that we will find rest in that. In Jesus' name, amen. God created us to be engaged with him. No longer separated. That's the name of this sermon, the title today, no longer separated. God created us to be connected with him, engaged with him. Genesis chapter two, verse eight. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watered the garden, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it separated into four headwaters. Now verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So here God has created this amazing world and then he has created humans 
to be in this world in relationship with him to tend this world he has made for him. So God engaged us by creating us and by creating a world for us that had a purpose we were to engage in, which was a purpose centered in relationship. Relationship with God and our relationship with the world and in addition, relationship with each other. Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So you see, in all of this creation, we're created for engagement. To be engaged with God, to be engaged with our purpose in this world, and to be engaged with each other. It was a beautiful work that God did. Unfortunately, it went wrong. God wants engagement, but you see, God is not willing that that engagement be a forced engagement. He wants us to willingly engage with him. And therefore, God allowed that another tree would be in the garden. We heard of it a minute ago. A tree that would give knowledge but not knowledge of a good sort, rather knowledge of evil. We can't spend much time on this, but there's a a couple comments that I think are merited here. First of all, I don't think there was anything magically evil about the fruit on that tree. You see, I don't think it was all okay until they ate this magic bad fruit and went bad. Rather, I think it's something else. And that is the knowledge of evil and the separation from God to which such knowledge gives birth. This actually comes from the intoxicating act of deliberate disobedience. It was not so much the fruit that was the problem. It was the fact that God said, don't take that fruit. And the process of making a deliberate decision in the mind to go against what God had asked and that moment of intoxication that comes when you're on the brink of a deliberate disobedience, this is the knowledge of evil. I know you know what it feels like to deliberately disobey because I know you've done it. We all have. It is this, in the moment, both irresistibly enticing and wretchedly sickening feeling. Do you know what I'm talking about? In that moment where you're on the brink of doing wrong, you know it's going to make you sick to do, but you do it anyway. This is the knowledge of evil. This is to know what it means to go against God. Here's a thought for another day. Can you imagine that there was a time at the beginning when humans didn't know that feeling at all? Can you imagine how good it would feel to not know that feeling? to not know evil? Adam and Eve made the choice for deliberate disobedience, never mind all their attempts afterward to try to justify Adam. Well, it's her fault. Eve, well, the, the serpent tricked me. Regardless, 
regardless of their excuses, no one had to tell Adam and Eve after that act of deliberate disobedience, no one had to tell them that things between them and God had changed. God didn't have to show up and say, well, you did this, and now i got to let you know things are going to be different between us. That's not how it went, did it? Genesis 3, verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Nobody had to tell them there was separation now. You know how this is, right? When you in your life have made a decision that you know harms a relationship, no one needs to tell you after you've done that that things can't quite be the same as they were before. You know that. Adam and Eve knew that engagement had become disengagement and immediately they felt the separation but God was not about to let them go. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then this is the point in the story where all those excuses begin, but we're not going to focus there. The point is, from that moment on, we were officially in rebellion. And for our sake, God had to act. We had chosen to know evil, to know disobedience. And so disobedience would become what we had to know. Verse 22, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the man out. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Separation had truly come. And what better symbol of the separation than the flaming sword of righteousness that keeps the unrighteous from the tree of life? But just because we had chosen separation didn't mean that God had chosen disengagement. No, even when we fell, our God remained engaged. Oh, we were ceaselessly inclined to do wrong. It got so bad early on that God sends a flood because evil had become so prevalent that any hope of reconnection was almost lost. And after that, even after that lesson, still those who came before us were so prone to going wrong that God finally said, you know what, I'm going to have to separate them from each other. Because as long as they stay united like this, they will destroy themselves. And so he confused us and sent us all over the world. 
Yet despite our disengagement from God and our disengagement from each other, God was determined to remain engaged with us. And God had a plan to end all the separation that our sin had caused. Step one, engage with a man named Abraham. In order to reach the whole world, our God had to start by engaging with one man, one man who would be the witness for God. He wasn't perfect, but he was enough for God to get things going. And then came Isaac and Jacob and the patriarchs and finally Israel, and they weren't perfect, but they were enough to keep things going. And even in their imperfections, they still bore witness to the faithful engagement of God with his people. Finally, Israel became Judah, and even a trip back to Babylon. But at each step, God perfectly engaged, even though his people never perfectly engaged back. Yet finally, God's purpose in engagement met its ultimate day, the day of God's willful journey back to us. It was fulfilled when a woman, a virgin named Mary, a good woman no doubt, but not a perfect one because there aren't any of those, A woman gave birth to a child, a child named Jesus, who was called Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus, phase one of God's engagement with us was fulfilled. The separation between humans and God was healed, for now God had a man with whom he could directly engage and who would engage in righteousness back with God. Finally, there was a man who could truly engage with God again. And Jesus became our way back to the Father. Ephesians chapter 2 describes well our situation. As for you, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. This short little passage is really just a restatement of the whole story I've already told you, a telling of our true condition without Jesus. But verse 4, but God, because of his great love for us, because of his ceaseless engagement with us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. 
This passage continues. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see, God never quit being engaged with us. And he worked through the foolishness of the patriarchs and the foolishness of Israel and the foolishness of Judah until Jesus came. He still works with our foolishness, but he works through Jesus. You see, maybe when you hear this, you think, You know, I still kind of struggle with these things. Well, okay, Romans 7, verse 21. So I find this law at work. Tell me if you know what this feels like. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? You know the answer to this, don't you? Do you know it? It's the next verse. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is because of the love of God, the one who never disengaged from us, Even after we had become separated from him, it is through Jesus Christ that we are delivered. It's what John 3.16 is telling us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Christ, we are separated no longer. But not just that. In Christ, we are recreated. We are born again. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now we're going to continue with this passage next week because it's got some important things to say to us as we talk about our relationship with each other. Before today, realize that if anyone is in Christ, the new reality has come. In Jesus, we aren't just put into the same room with God again, and now we have to try to figure out how to not make him mad again. That's not how it works. No, in Christ, we're reconciled with God, and we then can re-engage from our side with the one who never ceased his engagement from his. We have the chance to re-engage with the Father. Ephesians 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, 
not by works, so that no one can boast. This is where we stand with the Father if we choose to. It's the beginning of a new year. Where do you stand with the Father at the beginning of this new year? Are you still separated? If you are separated from the Father at the beginning of this year, it is not because he hasn't been reaching out to you, and it is not because he hasn't made provision for you. If you are separate, it is because you are choosing to be separate. The same deliberate disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden. We can, through Jesus, be re-engaged with the Father. We'll struggle. It will be tough sometimes. But God will send us his Holy Spirit. And we can have confidence as we live that the grace of God in Jesus Christ is sufficient and that the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is enough to bring about in us a godliness we could never come up with on our own. The God who has engaged with us from the beginning is calling us today at the beginning of this new year and saying, all this I have done, will you accept my forgiveness and grace? Will you lay aside that impulse to deliberate disobedience that on the one hand seems overwhelmingly enticing to you, yet on the other hand, every time you go that way makes you wretchedly sick in every way in your life? Will you put down the struggle and live by faith? The God who is engaged with you calls you today. You are no longer separated from the Father. Will you live in his love and grace? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you will speak to our hearts. There are struggles in this place today, Lord. Your Spirit is working hard. Break down our resistance. May we give up the rebellion. And may this year be the year we truly begin to walk in the grace that is ours.